Shalom and welcome everybody to the Unexpected Cosmology. School is in session. Tonight we're going to be having, we'll be reading from a couple different texts. We're actually going to be dividing this up into two sections. The first half, I wanted to talk more about the mud flood and specifically trying to find any kind of scripture that might pinpoint a post-mud flood society and what would the, what that would look like. Essentially, what would be going on while Satan is going about deceiving the world. And then the second half, we will be looking at another infancy gospel. A couple years, uh, a couple weeks ago, <laughs> we will blast the shofar. Thank you, Rob, for that <laughs> for that reminder. A couple weeks ago, we read from another infancy gospel, the infancy gospel of Yaakov, and. And we're actually going to see with these two infancy gospels how I think that there's some really great connections between the two of them, and also they line up with with the gospels. So, is there anybody here who has a shofar available? Yeah, I've got mine ready, man. All right, I will pray, and then when I say "Amen," uh, Polly, that will be your cue to to blast away. All right, let's pray. Our dearest Father in heaven, Yahuwah, Most High Elohim, we pray that you uh, that we continually put our faith and our confidence in you in these very dark days. And we don't know how much time we have left. We don't know if the years will go by or if we're coming up to a swift end. But we pray that we would not put our faith in ourselves in our own ability to take care of ourselves, our own ability to support ourselves or our families, uh, our own ability to feed our families, um, that we would not succumb to any pressure from the government, from authorities, from the spiritual powers that oppose you. We pray that we would put our full faith and confidence in your, in who you are and your provision and the works of your son, Yahushua HaMashiach. Um, we pray that this weekend, as people all over this country are getting baptized, we pray for the people who are going to be baptizing uh, from our front here in Seattle, in New Hampshire, in Savannah, and of course here in Tampa, and then of course in Missouri and Texas and Alaska and Colorado and uh, Kentucky, everywhere where they're going to be, we pray that you uh bring in that you do, for those who are coming in and being baptized that they would not listen to temptations to roadblocks to hindrances that they wouldn't make excuses that they would take this seriously and come in obedience and be baptized um to live out your calling that we be kings and priests in your kingdom and uh pray all these things in the name of your son Yahusha Hamashiach amen Polly, I think <laughs> so far so good. <laughs> Polly, I think that was your best blast so far. So thank you very much. All right. So if you look in the general voice chat, I have dropped two links. One is uh, what we'll be talking about first, the Millennial Kingdom plus Mud Flood and the Return of Rome. And then the second one is the Infancy Gospel of Thomas. So feel free to pull those up. Now, I was just 
before we started, uh, Dave called me up. He's in the chat tonight. And I'm kind of finishing up our conversation with him. And he knows I'm trying to finish up. And then I was like, oh, Dave, I got to go because Rick Hummer is trying to call me. Now, if you remember, Rick Hummer was the, the dude who we brought on last week and talked a fine talk. And <laughs> he he starts just going off like on more scripture with me. And and we were we were really trying to figure out because there's a lot of people right now as talk about the mud flood keeps getting known and growing and you know what does that mean for us and if history is a lie and for those of us that are saying we think the millennial kingdom physically happens a literal thousand year reign some people say 400 years um, that there was a literal reign that's freaking some people out and they're trying to debunk us now i have i i'll go on record and say that if you can make a solid case that New Jerusalem coexists with the Millennial Kingdom, then there's probably not much more room for debate. I'll say game over because my reading of it uh, is that and it has always been a scripture. I've never really understood why people confuse the two that the Millennial Kingdom uh, and New Jerusalem coexist. Well, uh, Rick Hummer and I were talking about that and when we were pulling up some scripture verses that were like uh for the argument that opposes we were like game over uh, we think we have debunked the idea that new jerusalem would coexist with the millennial kingdom um but and he's like oh man we gotta get <laughs> we gotta get back on and do another show so uh hopefully in the next few weeks we'll uh, uh rick and i put together a, a good case and we will present our findings Tonight, I have this article uh, that I, I published a little over a week ago called Millennial Kingdom Plus Mud Flood and the Return of Rome. And for those of you who were around when I did my video on uh, the Enochian prophetic 10-week calendar, I I dropped a challenge in there. It wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, uh, it was more like a call out to anybody to show that I'm reading it wrong, that I'm in error. And so far I've been passing it around and nobody's opposed it. Nobody has said, you're wrong, Noel. You're, you're reading this wrong. And if you recall in that show, I talked about how, uh, according to Enoch, if we take the, the 10 weeks, literally, uh, and everybody does that anyways. They take they take the first five weeks up to Messiah, literally, and then they say well, afterwards, oh, well, the rest of the numbers are just symbolic. But if you actually take them just as literally as the first five weeks, it actually means, guys, we're post-millennial. It actually means that. And I think I made a case for it. I discussed that. And I've yet to have anyone oppose it. Well, tonight we have a new, art, uh, a new book from Enoch. Uh, that has gained no traction. I don't know if this book is a hoax or not. It is called the, let me see, what is it called? Uh, the Account of Enoch. Well, what's really interesting about this book is that it comes to us in, I'm trying to read through the article here. I should probably just read the article. It comes to us in both Greek and Latin. So we have a Latin text and a Greek text. We do not have an Aramaic or Hebrew text, but that still tells us that some time ago, this text was popular in two major languages. And um, 
I'll just go ahead and just scan through this article real quick. We'll get to it. So one of the biggest oppositions I have had over the idea that we are living in Revelation 20 is people come and tell me, they say, Noel, proof that um, we are not in Revelation 20 is that the Vatican still exists. And the Vatican, of course, is proof that the fourth beast have has never been done away with. Now, I'm not going to argue tonight on whether or not Rome is the fourth beast. I am under the impression and the current conclusion that it was. And some people will argue that the fourth beast was not Rome. That's a whole nother debate. The general consensus is that there were four beasts leading up to the Messiah. And Daniel in his prophecy was, keep in mind, was only concerned. He wasn't looking at all the beasts of the world. Okay, he wasn't telling us about all the beasts through history. He was only concerned about the four leading up to Messiah. Um, they are Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. So the question is, is if Revelation tells us that the beast is thrown into the lake of fire before the millennial kingdom, why does Rome still exist? And I think I have an answer to this. So I'm going to be uh, presenting this text tonight. And if I am in error, if I am reading this wrong, let me know. This is not an ego trip on my part. I'm just hoping to uh, deliver something to the community to the for intellectual thinking and see if we can all come up with um, an answer together. I don't need to go through all this. Uh, if you look in the article, I quote from Revelation chapter 19, 20, where it talks about the beast was taken and thrown into the lake of fire. All right, so we've settled that. So, in my opinion, Rome was thrown into the lake of fire. It was done. Done away with. So, that would, you know, tell us that whatever is Roman today, as in the Vatican, is not necessarily the fourth beast. All right. And then we see in Revelation 19, chapter 20, this is all review, that uh, Satan is thrown in prison for a thousand years, at the end of which he is released from the bottomless pit. He's he's brought up and he goes about deceiving the nations. And then after that, for a little season, we don't know how long that little season is. We kind of all estimate about 250 years, right? If there's, you know, a quarter of a thousand. And then, of course, he's thrown into the lake of fire. So we're at the point in history, it's my proposition, that we are in that little season and he has been released from the abyss, but he has not been thrown in the lake of fire yet. All right. So let's go ahead. If you guys can all scroll down in the article, it's really not long. This book, it's called The Account of Enoch. It is only 10 verses long. I had, I had mentioned in the past that Enoch is attributed, you know, we have the two great um, writers. We have Moshe and Enoch. Enoch was like the first scribe, and he's many, many books attributed to him. Uh, but where are all these books? And this is where I had said that I actually think he probably wrote a lot of more like pamphlets that kind of similar to David or Solomon, how they kind of assembled Proverbs and Psalms afterwards. I actually think that the first book of Enoch is at a minimal four separate books. And even though a lot of those books may have been assembled at some point in history into one conglomerate book. And if this is not a hoax, if this is legit, if this is a legitimate book, then, you know, this could have very well been assembled into the book of First Enoch. All right. 
Does anyone have any questions yet before I dig into this? All right, well, then let's begin. Verse 1. Enoch was shown a vision of the coming deluge. Yahuwah said, My servant Enoch, you must warn the wicked generation that I tend to keep my promise. I will destroy every creation in the land, for they have corrupted all that I have made. All right, so far so good. It's lighting up with what we see in Jasher and Jubilees, the corruption of all flesh. And that should remind us of another corruption that is being enforced on the whole world right now, as in the days of Noah. Enoch asked, Who will survive, my Adonai? Elihim's, Elihim said, I have chosen a vessel that, that will carry on the pure seed of righteousness. You will be taken before this great destruction comes. Warn the infidels. Now keep in mind, um, infidels can be interpreted pagan, or maybe even the goyim. Uh, but again, nothing here deterring us from what we've already seen in the book of Enoch. He's been given this prophecy uh, multiple times, and he's written this down about the coming deluge. Enoch went out to the multitude and said, Behold, Yahuwah is coming with 10,000 of his holy ones to mete out judgment to all those who are ungodly. You have sinned a grievous sin and forgotten the creator of the worlds. All right, so... Uh, Again, there. that's the first chapter of Enoch. We see the prophecy of the 10,000 of his holy ones coming out to meet judgment uh, on all the ungodly. I will make a quick note here that it's interesting that in all these extra-biblical texts that we find that didn't make it into canon, we hear these, the same phrase, creator of the worlds, plural. Uh, I find that really fascinating. And I've put a lot of thought into that. And I, I kind of think it's describing the multiple heavens uh that the you know the debate is still open whether there's three heavens or seven heavens but if you take the ascension of isaiah uh also what you see in second enoch and some of these other books where it talks about seven heavens each of these layers are just as big as the layer below so however big this earth is going up to the firmament the second layer is supposedly just as big going up to the next firmament. And I think that that's what we're seeing when we see the creator of the worlds. And keep in mind, too, that it seems to me that all the books that say there are seven heavens also did not end up in canon. So, some coincidence there. After he said this, the multitude took up arms to kill him. Suddenly, a whirlwind came from heaven, a storm of fire. Within the whirlwind of fire were seraphim, dragons of the power of Elohim. All who saw this became blind in that moment, for their eyes were burned from their sockets. So we got like a Raiders of the Lost Ark thing happening here. Uh, if you're following along in this article, you'll see that I highlighted seraphim, dragons of the power of Elohim. I don't address that in this article, but I am writing one now where I do, and I am so convinced that when Scripture is talking about dragons in the wasteland, they're not talking about dragons as we think of them in, you know, you know, the, the long-necked, winged, breathing fire, but they're actually seraphim. They're actually uh, fallen angels in these wastelands that, uh, that haunt them. And, you know, Satan, of course, is a, what is he? He's a dragon, right? So um, that's kind of interesting that here we see good seraphim 
And it's basically like Elijah being taken up in the, the fiery whirlwind, the, the chariots of fire. But here we see dragons actually pulling the, the, it doesn't say chariots, but whatever, they, they were in it. Enoch was then taken up into the heavens and disappeared from the land. No one knew where he went. He could not be found, for Elohim took him to an, to an appointed place, even to a place of holy ground. In this place, Enoch wrote books about the history of the people from Adam until the time of his generation. Uh, and we see the same thing with, uh, with Second Enoch, where he was, he was taken up multiple times. And I believe this is just one of those times, again, he was taken up, he writes a bunch of books in heaven. All right, moving on. This is where it starts getting really interesting, guys. We're, we only have a few verses left, but you see I highlighted all of this. This is where it gets insane. And this is where I think it opens up the post-mud flood narrative. At that time, Elohim showed him a vision of the great Leviathan and Behemoth. Ooh. These two beasts were stirring up the population in the end of days. Okay, there's the hint. The end of days. Behemoth was a beast of liberty. All right, so think about that word, the beast of liberty, and Leviathan was one of royalty and power. All right, so what are what are the uh, the two great powers that come to be? Uh, well, really, that's actually duking it out right around the time of the mud flood. What's the War of 1812? The beast of liberty and the beast of royalty and power. They begin as one beast with a name called Phoenix. The phoenix died, and from the ashes arose these two great beasts. Behemoth eventually became greater and dictated its laws to the whole earth. It attacked Ishmael continually, even when he, Ishmael, did not deserve to be punished. All right, so what is, <laughs> what is the United States of America, the land of liberty, what, have it, what has it been doing for the last 30 years? Been attacking the children of Ishmael even when Ishmael did not deserve it. All right? So that's, that's incredible. And guys, this was written in Greek and, La uh, Greek and Latin. How, do, how in the world, even if this is a forgery, and I've seen the Greek and Latin text. You can actually look them up online. How in the world did someone figure that out? And what I want to concentrate on is the phoenix. But I'm going to finish this, and I'm going to jump back into this. Verse 8. And then another beast came up. It awoke from a slumber. Hmm, I wonder who that beast was that awoke from a slumber. It was sleeping, guys. The beast was a dragon-like beast. There's the dragon with ten horns returning. So it's returning. It's been gone, and now it's back to reclaim its two severed heads. That is Leviathan and Behemoth. The two beasts fought for a while. So the two beasts is the, what are they? Liberty and royalty for a while, but gave in afterwards. Now, the dragon-like beast was again whole, and it ruled the whole earth. It placed its seal upon the multitude until... Okay, so here it is, placing its seal. Now we're getting into the you-know-what territory. I'm not going to say it, because we want to put this on YouTube, and I don't know. I don't even know what words they're going to take me down for, but you guys know what I mean. It placed its seal... So this is coming from Revelation. Upon the multitude until one like the Son of Man came and destroyed the beast. So the beast is now 
destroyed. But this is this is not the beast. This is not the fourth beast. This is the dragon beast. All right. So this is where we see in Revelation 20 that it is thrown in the lake of fire. After this vision, Enoch was afraid and stricken with awe. It came to pass that Noah entered the ark, and Elohim fulfilled his work, uh, his will. Thus concludes the account of Enoch. It's a really short text, but I want to concentrate on the phoenix that died, and from the ashes arose these two great beasts. Now, if we should all know that that's exactly what a phoenix is. It it rises out of the flames, right? We see this all through the occult. We saw this with a it was a a tattoo on George Floyd's chest. Well. When I wrote my papers on 1812 as a very strange year, I put special emphasis on these phoenixes because we see the double-headed phoenix with Napoleon. We see it with the Tsar uh, Alexander, I think Alexander I. We see it with the Vatican. They're all portraying this phoenix, this double-headed phoenix. And I had said at that time, it seems like they're all on the same side. Um, and I don't know. I, I'm curious what you guys, what your guys' thoughts are on this, because it seems to me like they're telling us exactly how it happened. That if there was a mud flood event and the kingdom comes to, I, I can't say the kingdom comes to an end because it doesn't come to an end. It's an eternal kingdom. You guys know what I mean by this. It, it, it kind of, it shifts away. You know, they kind of pick up and move. Uh, you know, maybe we're in the outer darkness here. I don't know. Uh, how big this realm really goes. We were discussing that today. But we, you know, when we see this, this phoenix symbolism, they're telling us that they are the beast that has risen, risen out of the ashes. So I guess I'd ask the question to the group here. Does, when you read that, did that say post-mud flood to you? I, I mean, um, I didn't... Um... It, it didn't like strike me as post mud flood, like uh, in the face, like you know, like like a glove. But uh, I think I focused on a couple of other things. Kind of interesting that the beast of liberty um, dictates its laws to the whole earth. I find that super super interesting because that's literally what the United States is doing and has done for the last however long. Uh, they've brought quote-unquote democracy to these uh, dictatorships and 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 such, uh, which is super interesting. Um, also, it's well known that um, the most dangerous form of government is a a government that is altruistic and and wants to do what's best for its people because there's literally no limit. To the tyranny that will it, it can impose uh, through altruistic means, which which is really quite fascinating. Yeah, good. Well, the the passage that I think really stuck out to me is, you know, I've never literally fallen out of my chair, but it was kind of one of those falling out of my chair moments when it talked about that the dragon, which is clearly Satan, was in a slumber; it was gone, and that it comes back. And that these, so you have to ask the question, at what point in history, it says that the, the beast is destroyed, it's in ashes, like, like what, what's ashes, guys? It was in the fire, right? It was in the lake of fire. And that there is a revival of a two-headed beast that 
hands its authority over, and it struggles at first, which is interesting, but it hands its authority over to the dragon who has been gone for a long time. So when I read that, if you, if I were to slide that anywhere in the book of Revelation and prophecies, we know it, it comes to, across to me like, uh, you know, Revelation 20, like we're precisely where we're at. Quick, uh, quick thought here. Uh, it, it talks about these two, these two creatures, the behemoth and the Leviathan, but it lists three different characteristics. And if, if you consider, um, and this is kind of going into conspiracy land, um, and I don't like to say conspiracy theory because that's a that's a term that is coined by um, by people who want to control people who think outside the box. But you have liberty, which is which is freedom. You have royalty, and you have power. And I mean, a lot of people will say there are three major forces right now, and that is. The United States being the military arm of the, um, like the industrial complex or like the the, uh, the central bank, then you'll have um, you know the Vatican, which represents um, you know the religious arm, and then you'll have um, like London or uh, you know royalty, the Queen representing well royalty in this case, but representing the financial um, you know the financial aspect. The, the the unholy trinity of of power <laughs> in the world. So it's, it's kind of interesting, and I wonder if if um, if that power doesn't mean something different, um, like that m- maybe like the power means like religious power, because certainly it seems like the United States is very interested in liberty, <laughs> and most people are American here, so they can probably concur or deny as they so desire. <laughs> Yeah, these these two beasts. Um, the way I see the the one with royalty and power could also be you know Europe, Britain, uh, the Queen, you know, and all the power territory they run. That could be another one teaming up with with the U.S. in that sense, if you're looking at it that way. So that could be something um, that's possible, or you could look at it in a whole another way with maybe it being Russia and China together as royalty. I don't know. Uh, it's just a thought. Good. And think about the struggle that was going on when the curtain opens up post mud flood. According to the best that we have been able to figure out, and you know, obviously we all have to come at this knowing that we're given these different clues and we will probably never get the full story in this in this uh lifetime or this side of eternity. Um, but the the struggle we see opening up is between Britain and America and Britain and Napoleon, ultimately. Um, I mean, that was, you know, that when you understand like the War of 18, uh, well, not the War of 18, the Napoleonic Wars and him going to Russia and who Britain was financing. And it, it it's interesting that you brought up power, but it, it says in the next, like a sentence or two over, that then the Beast of Liberty becomes more powerful, right? It eventually becomes more powerful. Go ahead, copter pilot. Yeah, you know, I never even heard of the mud flood until less than a year ago. So, to be honest with you, I'm not seeing it, but that's not saying much. But the question I have is, uh, I've heard or read somewhere not too long ago that the American eagle is actually a phoenix. And uh, since you related that to the Vatican and the others, 
And you got any comments on that? Well, the American Eagle uh, is, I yeah, I, esoterically, I, I do place it as a phoenix. You see the eagle with Rome. Um, you see it with Egypt and the mysteries of Isis. And so you see this phoenix symbol going way back into history and the same sort of spiritual themes going on. You know, they tell us that, you know, Benjamin Franklin wanted a turkey or something like that. Ha ha ha. Uh, but yeah, that it's almost like they, they tell us that just to, to try to divert from the fact that they obviously went with the Egyptian and Roman theme. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the last things, um, and I think Oath, Oath of Yaz kind of posted some stuff in the, in the chat there. But one of the last things it says is, it placed its seal upon the multitude until one, until one like the Son of Man came and destroyed the beast. Now, I don't think we should debate semantics over an English translation from a Greek or, or Latin text, but it's not the Son of Man. It's one like the Son of Man. So, why wouldn't it just say it is the Son of Man? <laughs> well, I'd have to look. I would have to look back into Enoch. Uh, and the prophecies of Daniel, and obviously Yahusha—that was his favorite phrase for himself. He called himself Son of Man. And Daniel, I'd have to see if I, I think there are other passages in Scripture where it says one like a Son of Man. I don't think that's unique to this text. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't say with assurance offhand. But to me, that is an obvious reference to uh, Mashiach. Yeah, no, okay. I can totally. I can totally see this being a post situation um, where, I mean, you have the Phoenix uh, was original, was put away into the, to the flame, you know, to the prison, rises from the ashes, is released for a short while. You have, um, you know, existing right now, these two other beasts from being their heads cut off prior in this um, analogy of liberty and royalty and power being behemoth and leviathan and they they the the dragon comes back with 10 horns returning to reclaim the two severed heads um and that could be so where it returns it's released for a while it claims the other two heads it's in power running the ruling the whole world so yeah i can well, see that well right and i would encourage anyone to show me where else in scripture that the dragon clear reference to Satan was in a slumber and gone and was revived. Show me anywhere else. Cause it's not there that I've ever seen. Yeah. It's only during the millennial. Yeah. That we, that I've read. So another thing that will hopefully awaken this crowd to the realities of the world we see right now is that there are, you know, I've said a lot that when you look at the world, it, it's almost like Satan is trying to create the book of Revelation. And I, everyone in here, I, I hope, knows what I mean by that. There will be people out there that will misconstrue or misunderstand what I'm saying. A good example of this is 1948 Israel. I think probably just about everyone or everyone here tonight will agree with me that 1948 Israel is not a prophecy come true from Scripture. It is not the fulfillment of Yahuwah bringing both the houses of Yehuda and Israel back together again. 
Um, and so you can look at this and say, this is a false prophecy. Who did this? It's not, it's not from Yuhua. But what's interesting about this text is that all of a sudden you have the, that, the ten-headed beast again. Or the, uh, Here, let me actually look at it again just to make sure that I'm quoting it right. Um, the ten horns. I'm sorry. The dragon-like beast with ten horns returning to its two severed heads. Remember, there were two heads that were was it? There were two heads that were crushed, right? I'd have to look at the passage in Revelation. But what? And then we see that it is passing its seal upon the whole world, upon the multitude. So, with if this is a post-millennial text, and I feel it is. Um, what it's telling us is that there are some things we've seen in Revelation that they may have already happened, but they're being rehearsed again. And this is what I've been trying to really caution the group this last week to not say that just because we are post-millennial that things cannot be repeated again. Like, you know, what the, the seal or the what the governments of the world are forcing on people right now. Here in America, uh, we don't realize how good we have it. There are people in governments all over the world that the heat is really, like the fires are really being stoked right now. It's really, like the persecution is intense. And I think that, you know, America, there's a reason they're 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 tricking us here in in America. Um, they can't make it a little. They can't make it too obvious. Um, so we see some things in this that if it is post millennial, we are seeing repeated. And I just really want to emphasize, emphasize that point that we well, can't. Can I ask you a question, Noel. Yes. Uh, I was just curious if you had any thoughts on Behemoth being liberty and then the hidden wilderness that's hidden on the breast of Behemoth. You see any tie-in like that? Perhaps the hidden wilderness is in America. Do you do you do you have Bible God in front of you? Can you like find that passage in Enoch? Uh, I could. I think it's Enoch fifty-eight. Fifty-eight. Because I would rather just read that instead of just take guesswork at that. Yeah. While Dave looks that up, I wanted to uh, jump back onto what you're saying, though, that this possibility of it repeating. If we if we take the concept of the God of this world has been here since the beginning, the adversary, and he is uh, behind the scenes ruling and reigning, and he has this foreknowledge from all of the books that have been written, I'm sure he's gotten his own copies, so to speak, um, and examined them and knows what the prophecies are saying, he can very well strategically, with his high, immensely high IQ, uh, plan this this out throughout the world in different ways, manipulate it, and then also propagate it. So I totally see it possible. So the passage that Dave posted, and what what chapter is this? Oh, First Enoch fifty eight verse eight says. Okay, well let's just okay here it is. Okay, verse eight. 58 verse 8 and a male monster whose name is behemoth which possesses moving on his breast the invisible wilderness would you like me to read the whole chapter dave or was that good enough oh no 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 let's look down at verse verse uh five we'll start there and just read through verse eight 
But when the time shall come, then shall the power, the punishment, and the judgment take place, which Yahuwah of Ruach has prepared for those who prostrate themselves to the judgment of righteousness, for those who abjure the ju that judgment, and for those who take his name in vain. That day has been prepared for the elect as a, a day of covenant, and for sinners as a day of inquisition. Verse 7, In that day shall be two monsters whom became separated, a female monster whose name is Leviathan, dwelling in the depths of the sea and the springs of waters, and a male monster whose name is Behemoth, who possesses, moving on his breast, the invisible wilderness. So, Behemoth was the beast of liberty, and this is saying that Behemoth is the hidden wilderness. Um, could that... I mean... If we're not going by, because a lot of there's a lot of commentary on this hidden wilderness, and I know Dave, we've talked about that a lot. What does this mean? Could the in the context of what we just read, could the hidden wilderness be the new world? I don't know. Just food for thought. Talking about the greater, greater realm. Well, we are living in the new world, America, yeah. right? North America. The yeah. story oh. is the story is that. North America was never discovered, which we know is, excuse my language, that's BS. Like, that's ridiculous. It's the most outrageous claim that it was never discovered until Columbus, or they would say the Vikings before that, Eric the Red and, and Leif Erikson and so on and so forth. Uh, but we, we know that there was trade in the ancient world with the Egyptians and the Romans, and we have Roman coins, and Solomon was here, and right? And that's not, a, that's not assuming that, uh, the, you know, that America may actually be, some people have proposed the Holy Land. As you guys know, that's not my point of view, but I'm open to it. So we, you know, we get the Spaniards coming over and they're calling it the New World, right? That, that, so could this be what is referred to as the Hidden Wilderness? I don't know. Because if, if according to this, uh, the Hidden Wilderness ties up with the Beast of Liberty in the text we just read. And it's interesting because they, they seem to agree with each other here. That's really interesting. I had never thought to put those two together. And <laughs> Michael, you said Leviathan Sea Maritime Law. That's <laughs> that's a whole <laughs> that's a whole discussion right there. And I probably even shouldn't say this on air. That uh, no, I won't say it on air. I will not say it on air. But uh, I'll talk to you guys about maritime law in a future closed mic discussion and how that relates to myself and others. Well, I don't want to spend all night on this. I would like to get on the Infancy Gospel of Thomas. I just wanted to present this. So, once again, I'll give one more opportunity if anyone has any comment, question. I feel like we've kind of milked this. Um, uh, but, but Go ahead, Josh. <laughs> you know, just always, <laughs> hey, if there's anybody got it, just, yep, I will, I will talk about something. Um, so, just in kind of summary, I guess. So, the, the idea is that Rome um, turned into, uh, which I think has some historical accuracy, turned into um, Britain and the Vatican, um, which became like the United States, Britain, and the Vatican. And so this behemoth um, is the United States, which has been for the last you know, 10, 15, 20, 30, I don't even know how many years now, has been essentially attacking Ishmael. Which, which I'm assuming you're saying is like the Middle East, um, like Iraq, Iran, yes, yes. etc., Afghanistan. Um, so the idea is that, 
and and he didn't deserve to be punished, which is interesting because that's like something that cannot be mentioned here. But certain things don't turn to dust, um, <laughs> and and uh, they weren't good enough to fly planes. Um, uh, <laughs> they weren't professional enough to fly fly, fly planes that well. Um, so it didn't deserve to be punished. Um, but then you have another beast came up and it awoke from from slumber. So you're you're saying essentially that. We're we're in between those two. We're literally in between verse seven and eight right now, or, or we're right close to, to to verse eight, where those two beasts are going to be reclaimed by. The way this this happens is, uh, when when you see language in in scripture, like it says, then another beast came up. So what we did was is we just we just. In verse 7, it dealt with this long drama with the rising of the phoenix and and everything it's the these two powers are doing. And then it's coming into I'm I'm not I don't think it's really saying that the beast hasn't come up yet. It, it seems to say that yes, this phoenix arose before the beast, the dragon, was released. But I don't take this to mean that the dragon is not released yet. Does that make sense? Yeah, just because that's, it came up doesn't mean take. that it came up at that exact moment. That's hey, correct. Noel? Yeah. Yes. Hey, um, so I'm, I'm, I've been, well, as, as some people might know, I've been working on uh, my own kind of uh, book of Enoch, and it's, uh, it's coming along, and it's almost there. Um, but I have been looking, and I found a verse um, it talked about Dudael, and uh, it's it, it's in the book of Enoch. Um, talks about Azazel, um, the cohort of Simjaza. You know they got you know they got kicked out because uh, they disobeyed. And Dudael is uh, Duadain, and and here in in verse uh, verse nine, uh, Dindayen is the same is the same words for Dudayen and Dudael. Um, and what I've been finding is that in 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 a lot of the Enochian literature, there's this idea. That just outside of Eden, or maybe it was Eden at one time, is the wilderness, or the invisible wilderness, or the place where um, the 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 watchers, the original watchers of the uh, the leaders of the twenty of the two hundred, um, were taken and buried, and uh, that is their their own version of a um, of a of a Sheol that's not Sheol, but at the same time it will be judged, it will be opened up released and then later on after the great white throne judgment thrown into the lake of fire whether it's it just it just perishes it ceases to exist um so i i just wanted to bring that up because it's it's fresh for me um and i didn't really put because i was only researching one specific thing trying to narrow something down i didn't ever connect it with behemoth and of course here it is right in front of me right now that it's right there uh, whose name is Behemoth, which possesses moving on his breast, the invisible wilderness. His name was Dindayen, or Dudadain, or Dudael, in the east of the garden. And so I'm like, whoa, mind being blown. Um, so yeah, that, take that for what it's worth, but I just wanted to bring that up and uh, tell you all about it. Cool. All right, well, everyone here will probably have more thoughts and stuff, and we could always jump into the you know, the coming weeks and such, discuss this in Discord. And again, this is just a challenge out there to everyone to to look at this, come to your own conclusions. I am presenting this for the community. 
and I just couldn't pass it up. I will have perhaps next week another presentation to give, which will deal more about the wilderness during the time of the millennial reign. Again, whether the millennial reign has happened or it hasn't happened yet, this scripture still applies to that. And it will give us more understanding of how evil is able to survive through the millennial reign, past or future tense, same rules apply, and why this hidden knowledge, this occult knowledge, is able to come to the forefront um, once Satan is released. So hopefully next week I'll have more to say on that. Uh, this is, you know, as I discover this stuff a little bit at a time, I will be, um, I will be bringing it forward. And I know that there is plenty of videos out there, and they all have things to say. And um, I just hope that. Uh, some of these scripture verses can add a little bit to what they're already doing. 